My name is Simon, for those of you we've not met before, and we're in a series as a community called Tuning In, where we're giving whoever's speaking just an opportunity to say anything they want. <laughs> Dangerous, but it should be good. And uh, this morning, I wanted to talk on two quotes, actually, in the last few weeks that I heard really provoked me into what I'm going to speak on this morning. Uh, one was this, I can't even remember who said it, but I read this quote, scratch any cynic, and underneath you will find a disappointed idealist. Uh, scratch any cynic and underneath you'll find a disappointed idealist and that you know you hear some things and they disappear and then some things you hear and you think there's something in there that we need to dig into because so often even in our own lives the cynicism or the cynicism in others you try and hit it head on but actually what that's saying is underneath that what's down in the depths of cynicism is often a person who had a dream or had a vision that got disappointed and crushed and then out of that place they became cynical uh, and, and that now is the way that they approach life and there's something there and then Phil last week for those of you who are here gave a quote from a, a, a pastor who leads a church in the States in a town of 2,000 and his church is 2,000 people and uh, his quote so we all pricked up over his his quote was this the reason that I'm an effective leader is that I've learned to navigate disappointment without downsizing my dreams and if you were here last Sunday, you're, that was a moment when Phil gave that quote and we suddenly thought, whoa, there's something in there for us. So I want us to just dig in a little bit deeper. Uh, I was even talking to someone at the end of the meeting last Sunday and, and over the issue of disappointment, they're saying, I, I, I know that I'm in this place. I'm stuck in this place. I don't know how to navigate out. I want to navigate out. I, want, I don't want to stay here, but I don't know how. So uh, my title this morning is Eight Ways to Live Free from the Stranglehold of Disappointment which I thought was a good title. You're obviously not impressed, but I, I was pleased with it. So we'll see if we can improve from there. Uh, notice I didn't say eight ways to live free from disappointment because that's impossible. We will all face disappointment. Put your hand up if you haven't. Okay. We will all face disappointment at some point. The question is, how do you live free from the stranglehold of disappointment? Because disappointment is like that. It is a stranglehold that wants to get hold of our hearts and our lives. And this is key for us corporately and individually to walk through and navigate and learn to navigate disappointment. Many of you, um, you've joined us in recently, half of our community, you, you've joined in the last two, two years or so. And you've missed that we went on a huge journey uh, seven or eight years ago as a community in learning to navigate uh, in this area of disappointment. And um, uh, Bill Johnson, who's massively impacted my life and us as a church, he he came to the UK the first time he came, and afterwards he said this, the greatest barrier to revival in the UK is undealt with disappointment. The greatest barrier he felt after his visit here is undealt with disappointment. There's something here for us both individually, but corporately and even nationally. There's something about this area that we need to dig into if we want to see God break in. The problem is uh, disappointment where it's undealt with, it derails people sometimes from their spiritual life. I talk to many people who've walked away from God. They've walked away. Myself, before I became an atheist, one of the key reasons, I'm not now, by the way, for those of you first time. <laughs> Just clear that up. Uh, I, I was brought up as a, uh, as in a Christian home, became an atheist, then came back to Christ. But if you track the story back, where did, the, kind of, where did it start going wrong? Where did I start going off the path? It was undealt with disappointment in my life. But I never had anyone to help me work through that caused that. And many people are in that place today as I speak with them. Some, though, it doesn't totally derail them. But what happens is this disappointment just causes them to take a little bit of a step back. They don't get totally derailed, but they just take a little bit of a step back. They just, church, 
their walk with Jesus just becomes a little bit compartmentalized. They kind of just get on with their lives and then this, this thing that they don't deny, they keep turning up, they keep sitting there, they keep singing the songs, but, but deep down, are they where they were? Is the foot to the floor as it was? You know, there used to be a call for prayer. They would be there praying. There used to be a call to pray for someone. They'll be there praying. There used to be a call to break through in some new area. They'll be joining the group. and set, But now, not so much. And you track back the issues and very often it's disappointment. It's disappointment that takes that fire out of our lives. So this is going to be key. And we've made huge strides, but I feel like there's something more for us in this season, both individually and corporately, for us to, to dig in and see greater breakthrough in this area, more freedom to be had. You know, uh, uh, one thing I learned from, from physics, some of you are going to glaze over already, just the mention of the word is enough to make you start sweating. One thing I learned from physics is this, power equals voltage divided by resistance. That's it, some of you have lost you now for the whole, yeah. <laughs> Power equals voltage divided, what's the point? Power is voltage divided by resistance. What it means is this, the smaller you make the resistance, the greater the power becomes. In fact, where the resistance becomes zero, the power is infinite. <laughs> thank you, Laura, thank you. <laughs> The, the, the smaller you make the resistance, and disappointment is like that. It acts like a resistance in the soul. And the smaller we make that resistance, the greater the power of the life of God running through us. So this is a multi-level thing. And some of you, you're in the middle of disappointment now. You've got issues in your life that you've battled with, that you've faced, that they've kind of acted like roadblocks. You, you, this is live for you right now. And we're going to get an opportunity to pray for you. Others of you, you feel like, do you know what? I feel like I have navigated some difficult stuff. I feel like I'm in a good place. Well, let this be an equipping session for you because there are so many in the church who need help. And, that, and, and I want this to be an equipping session for you to be able to help others. So either way, this should be relevant for us. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for what you have done in Christ, that you stepped into our mess, into our world, into our pain and our disappointment to pull us out of the mire. And I pray this morning that this would land heavily in our souls and bring us into freedom and life and liberty and all that you've intended for us, both individually but corporately together, God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So first it's this, recognize the first out of eight, and I'll have to go reasonably fast, although Caroline now has to wave at me if I speak too quickly, so you can look to her. Oh, you have, have you? <laughs> she said, I have been waving. Okay. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> Remember to look at your wife while she's meant to be waving at you because you're speaking it too quickly. Okay, first, recognize, recognize that, that harboring offense is toxic to the soul. Harboring offense is toxic to the soul. If you read the story of John the Baptist, Matthew 11, is that better? Thank you. Uh, if you read the story of John the Baptist, Matthew 11, it's told, John was the man who proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah. He said, this is the one. He was the first one to get it, actually. And he said, Jesus is the one. And yet John, now in prison, sends his followers to Jesus to say, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you the one that, that we were waiting for? Or should we actually be expecting someone else? And and then Jesus res re responds and says to the disciples, go and tell John what you see. The blind are seeing, the, the, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, and the poor have got good news being preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not 
offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This word that Jesus speaks to John while he's in prison is so critical for us because you've got to understand what was the first thing that John had heard Jesus proclaim. The first thing that he would have heard him say is this, I've come to set the captives free. Where was John? In prison. (laughs) Suddenly this Messiah that he had signed up to hadn't quite delivered on what he thought he was going to deliver and in that place there was this like tearing in John's soul where he was starting to doubt the very thing that he himself had convinced others of. Sometimes the greatest cynics are those who've walked away from Christ actually. And in that place, Jesus says, John, you might, not, you might not get it, you might not understand it, but there is a blessing for those who refuse to be offended with me. That word blessed actually means to be happy. There's a joy in God. There's something in life that says, God, I don't really understand this, I don't really get this, but what I do know, whatever way I go from here, I'm not going that way. <laughs> I am not going to that place of offense because I know that it's toxic to the human soul and I don't want to go there. And, and, and disappointment, disappointment is like this gateway drug. It's like the lodger who moves in with its relatives. And it's like, hang on, I thought I was just renting a room to you. No, 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 all my friends are coming. Unbelief, cynicism, skepticism, it comes and has a rock and roll party in your home with all this stuff if you will open the door to it. And it feel, disappointment feels like a friend. It feels like we should, we, f- we should be justified in feeling it and yet at the same time it brings all this other stuff in. It takes you down a road that you don't want to end up in, into a place that you don't want to end up in. And, and when we learn and make a decision to realize that disappointment is toxic and I am not going to go there, I don't know where I'm going to go but I'm not going to go there, it sets us on a, pl- on a path to liberty. There was a lady I prayed with a while back. She had been injured from a car wreck. Um, a car had gone into her 15 or so years ago and uh, she had hip problem, back problem, just in constant pain, had been for years. She came forward to pray. Actually, her husband brought her forward for prayer and I could tell that she did not want me to pray for her. She was uh, open, I guess, would be the best you could put it, reluctant, felt like she ought to get me to pray for her. So we just began to talk and began to talk about the other driver who'd hit her and had she forgiven him and how did she feel about God and all of this stuff. And, and it was clear that she'd not really processed any of this. And so I just said, look, why don't you just take a moment and just, before I pray for you, because I thought there's no point actually praying for her while she's in this place. There needs to be some movement here because there's a toxic stuff going on in there. So I said, why don't you just speak to that driver as if he was in front of you? And so she did. She just began to speak to this driver. And she just, I mean, just vented. This poison just spewed out of her. You've ruined my life. Not only that, you've ruined my kid's life. She was crying and shouting. And you've ruined our lives. I've not been able to even sit on the floor with my kids and pray with them and and play with them and enjoy them. You've ruined everything because your foolishness and your kindness, all this stuff. And she was angry with God and all this stuff coming out. Anyway. At the end of it, I said, okay, it's all kind of, it was like, <laughs> you know, it's all out. I said, let's pray. Put a hand on her back, prayed, very quick prayer, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I said, now, is there anything you couldn't do? She said, oh, I've not touched my toes or sat on the floor for 15 years. So I said, okay, see if you can do it then. Immediately, she touches her toes. Her daughter, who was at the back, run, who was a teenager, runs to the front and she said, I saw a woman who was dressed like my mother touching her toes. And I said to myself, that can't be my mother. I've never, ever seen her touch her toes in my life. 
<laughs> she ran to the front to see it happen. She touched her toes, sat on the floor, crying, God broke in. But I believe the key, if I'd have prayed for her before all that stuff out, I don't think we'd have seen the same result because it acts like a block. It's, it's so toxic. Something so key for us. And corporately, to create an environment where a whole group of people have got that junk out and are living free from it is a, is a, it's going to be a powerful place. It has been a powerful place. I believe there's more for us. Second thing is this. To lay in your heart the foundation that God owes you nothing. Some of you, you're visiting the first time, you're like, this feels a little bit depressing. <laughs> I, come to I come to church to hear that God owes me nothing. <laughs> but let me explain to you why this is a foundation and, and why you cannot build on any other foundation apart from the fact that God owes you nothing. And it's this, there is a culture, an environment that we have been brought up in which, which says this, it's in a culture of entitlement, that we are owed stuff. We're owed stuff by God, we're owed stuff by our parents, we're owed stuff by society. There is a, there is a millions of people out there in, on the planet, particularly in this nation, but in many Western nations who are living from that reality that the world, life, God owes them something. And you know what? You cannot build on that foundation because it is a lie. The truth is this, God owes you nothing. He owes you nothing and he owes me nothing. Why does that set you free? Why is that the path to freedom? Job, you read the story, his story in the Bible, and he uh, loses everything. He loses everything, and his kids are killed. His uh, livelihood is destroyed. All his wealth is gone. And his response is this, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And then he worshiped. It's one of the most challenging verses in the Bible. Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And then he worshipped. You see, true worship starts from the place that God owes me nothing, and so then everything I receive is a gift from him. And it's come by grace. And you parents, you'll understand this as well. I, I love, I'm a, I'm a dad who loves giving gifts to my kids. I love giving gifts to my kids. At their birthday, I, I'll enjoy their birthdays more than my own birthday. <laughs> I love preparing for the birthdays. I love thinking and talking about what they have. And Caroline tell you, I'm on Amazon endlessly with them looking. And what about this? What about that? And can we make it happen? And, you know, just, I just love giving gifts to my kid. But... When I sense that, that when I've sensed in the past that seed of entitlement, that that they des that I owe it to them, suddenly what happens? <laughs> that heart, you parents will know when you sense that sense of entitlement, you you start to shrink back a little bit. <laughs> Suddenly, giving becomes a whole lot more complicated because now you're not just worried about the gift, you're concerned about the effect on the child of that gift and the state of their soul that they're in this place. It becomes a whole lot more complicated when you sense entitlement in your child. And it's exactly the same from God. We've got to come to Him with a reality which is this God, you owe me nothing. And so then everything you give me is a gift. And you know why this is so key? Because entitlement robs us of gratitude. It robs us from being grateful from the small things. And you've, if you've been in the place of disappointment, and I have, and if you've met anyone who has, what you'll see is this. Gratitude has very often gone from their lives. They can't even see the gifts that they've been given. I've been in that place. You can't even see the good things that you have got because you're focused on this one thing that you haven't got. And so you're, it, it robs you of life. It robs you of the flow of life. It stops it up. It blocks it up. 
And so suddenly, even though you're relatively healthy, perhaps, but this other thing you haven't got, suddenly you're so focused on that that you haven't not focused on this. Or, or if it's your health that you're battling with, but you've got a whole lot of other stuff. You, do you see what I mean? Every, the enemy wants you to focus on everything that you haven't got and not focus on what you have. And when you get back to the place that God owes me nothing, suddenly even the grass looks like a gift. <laughs> I mean, I never used to notice grass. Anyone, you just don't, I just didn't notice grass. I mean, just this grass. But when I maintain a soul that is grateful for God, I walk in sometimes to work or ride in and I look at the grass and think, wow, look at that grass. That's amazing. Grass is actually quite amazing when you look at it. I think someone needs to write a song about grass. I'm not sure it will catch on, but... <laughs> but do you see what I mean? I mean, gra- grass is, if you've ever been to a nation that doesn't have grass, and you come back and see grass, <laughs> you, you give thanks for grass. You don't even notice it. But when they don't have grass, you've got grass, you're like, wow, we've got grass. <laughs> and you start to view life through that lens. And I, I mean, I've been on trips to Africa, and I don't think about turning on the tap. But I tell you, you spend a month in Africa, and you come back and turn on the tap. And for a month, you think, I'll never forget what it feels like to turn on the tap. Do you forget? Yes, you forget. But there's something about posturing ourselves in that place where we never forget. And it starts from this land of this place, this reality that God owes us nothing. And if you're in that land of, if, of disappointment, if you're in that place of disappointment, then the, very often the way out is the, way, is the same as the way in. The way in was gratitude started to shrivel up in your soul. The way out, start to foster that gratitude again. Don't focus on what he hasn't yet done. Focus on what he has done. Start to give thanks for what he is doing. Don't focus on what he hasn't yet doing or isn't doing. Give thanks for what he is doing. Give thanks for what he has done. Even if it's just the breath that you can breathe. If you can breathe pain-free, give thanks for it. It's a gift. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. You aren't owed it. It's a gift. Something about this is so, so key for us. And the third thing is this. Laying in your heart the foundation then that he is a good and generous father. I have a a simple theology. God is good. The devil is bad. God does use bad for good, but he doesn't like bad. God is good. The devil is bad. There is a warfare going on. God can use bad for good, but he doesn't want bad. His, his aim is to bring good onto this planet. And so many of this mixed view of God, like God is like spewing all this evil and destruction and Jesus is going around fixing it. And we're on the sidelines thinking, which team should we pick? Which team should we pick? Oh, let's go with Jesus. He's the good guy. <laughs> there is no schizophrenia in the Trinity. It's not like the Father is like, like spewing out junk and Jesus is like, oh, my job's to come along and fix it. There's no schizophrenia in the Trinity. They are on the same team. Acts 10.38, Jesus Christ went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy because God was with him. <laughs> there is a warfare for this planet and it has been destroyed through our brokenness and evil and other evil elements, but God is in the process of restoring it. And he sent Jesus to enter into this place and bring it and to do it. And we've got to get that simple theology into our heads. Romans 8.32, Phil read it out. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him give us all things? God owes us nothing, but he's given us everything. <laughs> Get those two like, like concrete in your soul, 
and on it you can build a life that starts to navigate around disappointment. Fourthly, find a route to learn to express pain and disappointment without ultimately accusing God of doing wrong. Find a route to learn to express pain and disappointment without ultimately accusing God of, of wrong. This is what I mean by it. My friend Diane explained this to me. We have this situation in life, okay? We're here, and as, as a Christian, we've signed up, we've sung the songs, we know that God is good. And so we very often jump from here to here. But what happens? This never gets dealt with. This never gets dealt with. And the journey I think that brings us into freedom is to process this stuff healthily, to walk this stuff through before God, because otherwise this stuff actually ends up being a block into your connection with the Father. But when you learn to process this healthily, then this stuff, even out of the, the grounds of this stuff, you can see new life come about. Read Psalm 13. I mean, has anyone ever looked at how some of this stuff got in the book? <laughs> How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, you know, Karen comes to me, Simon, I've written a new song, I've written a new song, we want to sing it Sunday morning. Great, Karen, I love you writing new songs. Brilliant. Just give me the first verse. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Yeah, Karen, I'm just not sure it's where we're at for a Sunday morning. I mean, I'm not sure it's going to really work. No, no, Simon, I've got a second verse. I've got a second. Okay, okay, let's hear the second verse. Consider and answer me, O God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Yeah, Karen, it's just not, it's just doing nothing for me. I mean, it's just not going to work. This stuff is in the book. Why? Because it's real life. And many Christians shy away from this, but read the Psalms, and it's written from, God is not afraid of this. He's not afraid of our emotion and pain. That's why he sent Jesus into our emotion and pain. That's why on the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Did he really feel that the Father had forsaken him? Of course not. He himself said he was gonna rise from the dead three days later. So why did he say, why have you forsaken me? I believe it's this. He was entering into our humanity, our bereftness, our sense of God, where are you? And he entered into that to such an extent that it came out of his own soul. He said, why have you forsaken me, Father? That, that reality is what Christ came to draw us out of. He, he experienced it so that we could live free from it. But we join with him in that cry on this life. And many Christians have never found that place. And I would urge you, find your way, because it will look different for all of you. Some of you, it's about writing. Write your own psalm. Some of you, it's speaking it out with a friend. Some of you, it's writing a song. Whatever it is for you, for me, I just go out in the woods and I just cry out, just shout out. I think there's something actually powerful about using your voice, because the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. There's something about getting it out through your mouth that's powerful. So even if you write it, I'd urge you to speak it out. I mean, I... Uh, I uh, recently, one of my uh, issues, <laughs> one of many, uh, <laughs> um, but one of them is I have always battled with uh, buyer's remorse. Whenever I make a purchase, particularly a big one, or make a big decision, I then afterwards go into this period of beating myself up of, did I make the right decision? Have I made a mistake? I just go into this. And recently, Cameron and I were talking, in, and particularly over this, we've just moved house, and it has been a long and arduous kind of two and a half year process to get there. But Caroline in the process was, because I was going 
going through this whole buyer's remorse again because should we have sold our house and moved into rented accommodation, blah, blah, blah. So it's just, this is all going around. And I think Caroline just got, okay, let's draw a line. <laughs> so she says, Simon, whatever happens in this process, you've got to deal with this buyer's remorse. You've had it ever since I've known you. You had it before. You've got to deal with it. I was like, you're right, you're right, you're right. So, I was, so in the midst of this, a friend of ours spoke to us and gave us a prophetic word. God had spoken to Caroline and said, 2014 is the year of love. And so a great year of love, fantastic. Let's see what happens there. And then a friend said, your house is going to come on the market on February the 14th. So we thought, fantastic. Year of love, it all seems to tie up nicely. But inside me, I was thinking, what if it doesn't happen? You know, all this kind of stuff. Begin to, what if we've made a mistake? Anyway, it gets to, towards the, the day. And um, we've been praying about it. And then on February the 14th, now, this is not going to come across well because I had forgotten that it was February the 14th. <laughs> but that doesn't, it's not as bad as it sounds because we always celebrate on the Monday after February the 14th, okay? So Caroline's happy, don't worry, don't worry, she's good, you can talk to her afterwards. I had forgotten that it was February the 14th and that morning I had, it was a first opportunity so I thought I'm going to pray this through. So I just went through this, the, where, where did this buyer's remorse start? And I just began to pour out my soul to God, just all the situations where I felt like I'd made a decision, it had been the wrong decision, and I just began to, God, where were you in that? What happened with that? Blah, et cetera, et cetera, got it all out. But really got some massive freedom, really felt peace come into my spirit. It was, it was amazing. And in that place, I then went upstairs and woke Caroline up. She said, have you checked? I said, no. I, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's the day. <laughs> Happy, happy Valentine's. Uh, <laughs> we looked online, boom, the house that we've just moved into came online on February the 14th. Which made us happy anyway, so we can celebrate. Take the time to learn to get this stuff out and process this on your journey. Psalm 13 finishes like this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We do have to end up here. You can't stay in this place, but going through this is key. But getting to that place, even sometimes when you're still in the pain of it, and getting to the place where you can say, he has dealt bountifully with me. It's an eternal perspective. It's saying I'm going to look back on my life and I'm going to know that even through the dark times, even putting it all together, I'm going to know that he dealt bountifully with me. Fifthly, Lay down the right to understand and receive his peace. I used to think if I could just understand, if I could just work out why God had allowed it to happen, why he'd done this, why he'd done that, then I would have peace. Philippians 4 says differently. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's the phrase. Notice the thanksgiving though, what we looked at earlier, but that's the phrase. The, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. In this life, you may get understanding over that situation. You may, but you may not. But what you will definitely get if you want it is the peace of Christ, which goes beyond all understanding and will acts like a shield, like a guard over your heart and your mind. It positions you to be able to take the buffeting of life and still walk in life and freedom, to avoid the stranglehold. I ask for understanding. I still want understanding. But what I know that God has promised me this side of eternity is peace. 
and you can have it. And the church needs to be living, vibrant carriers of peace. Because the world out there is desperate for peace. And we need to be so stuffed with it that we just leak it everywhere we go. (laughs) That we just leak it everywhere we go. And sixthly this, worshipping through the pain is a unique privilege that we only have on earth. You will worship for all eternity if you follow Christ. You will worship him. But in eternity you'll have no pain. Because it says death will be no more and pain and suffering and sorrow and tears will be no more. In eternity you will worship but you'll have no pain. But in this life we have a unique privilege which is to worship in the midst of pain and to say God, no matter what my circumstance, you are still good and I love you. (laughs) And it's a unique, Job loses everything. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return and he falls to the floor and worships. In that place, he worshiped. And whatever your situation, you know, your marriage may be broken, your partner is remarried, there's no fixing it naturally. A child has died, a job situation didn't work out, from small to big, whatever your situation you face, I can't tell you the answer. I can't tell you why it happened. I can't tell you where it's going to go from here, but I can tell you this. If you worship through it, you will find that God will meet you in that place. You will find that he will meet you there in a way that will even begin to redeem the very thing that you're in. If you make that decision to worship, Hudson Taylor, great Chinese missionary, burying his youngest child in China, said this, it will be a tragic thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. (laughs) I love that quote. It will be a tragic thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. He had a hope because it says in Revelation that Jesus will one day wipe away every tear and he says, I'm going to meet Jesus and I'm going to give him my tears. (laughs) Something about this for us that's so key. Seventhly, just two more. Remember that there are levels of authority and power and learning to grow is often a mysterious process. The disciples, they're with Jesus. They're trying to set a boy free. They can't do it. Jesus rocks up. The father says, your disciples couldn't sort it out. Can you sort it out? He's like, let's do it. Sorts the boy out, sets him free. The disciples are like, what? I thought we could do this stuff. Jesus says, this kind only comes out through prayer. Yet he doesn't pray. (laughs) He doesn't pray, and yet he says this kind only comes out through prayer. What's he talking about? He's talking about something of a lifestyle of prayer, of a posturing of his soul that had got him to a different level to, to where his disciples were. There was something that he was calling them up into, and it was mysterious. But I believe in this day God is taking us as a community to a greater level, to see greater breakthrough. And there's something about this, uh, remembering that, that levels of authority and power will come They're mysterious how they come. I don't get how they come, but suddenly when you move to a new level, you know it because what was difficult or even impossible before suddenly just becomes normal. And when we're seeing it in the project at the moment, we're seeing, we prayed for years to see people come through and break through and now we're seeing them come through one after the other after the other, breaking through. 
We, we, we saw it, we, we've seen it with deaf ears. You know, we prayed for years for deaf people to hear because it says that's what happens when God's kingdom comes. We saw very little, very little. Katia Adams and Julian, they were in um, South Africa. Katia preached. In one meeting, they saw five people who had hearing impairment or totally deaf in one ear, completely healed. In one meeting. And you ask Katia, what happened? What, what, what? She's not going to be able to tell you because it's just a mystery. We don't know, but what we do know is that as we position ourselves in God, living free from disappointment, as we begin to navigate through this stuff, we get to a place where we just suddenly break through to a new level. What was impossible, what was difficult, suddenly now becomes possible. Who knows why? We just got to stay in God and wait for it to happen. <laughs> stay faithful for what he's called us to. The kingdom of God is advancing. <laughs> It is advancing and we are going from one level of glory to the next level of glory and we don't know what happens when we break through to the next level. we just got to position ourselves before God and we will. And then lastly, perseverance is a powerful agent in the prayer life of a believer and it helps us to take much ground. Eight things that I believe we, we need in our lives if we're to navigate and it finishes with this, perseverance. Anna, in Luke 2 is the story of Anna. You don't read anything much about her, but you read this. She lost her husband when she was young and then she prayed for 60 years that the Messiah would come. 60 years she prayed that the Messiah would come. And then he comes. And Anna never sees any of it. All she sees is the baby. But I believe if you talk to Anna, she died a happy woman. <laughs> because she had prayed for breakthrough to come. And even though she never saw the ministry, she never saw the miracles, she never heard the preaching, she just saw the baby, she knew that once the baby had come, once the king had come, it was all over. <laughs> she didn't need to see the end of the match. She knew that it was game over. She knew that the planet was about to change. And it was through perseverance. And, and you know, sometimes people come to me and they ask me to pray. And I had one lady come to me and she said, I've been prayed for by Randy Clark, Bill Johnson. And she listed off three other people I'd never even heard of, but I presume they were famous. She'd been prayed for, I've been prayed for by all of them and nothing happened when any of them prayed. Will you pray for me? <laughs> I used to get depressed by stuff like that. I used to think, well, if all those have prayed, what's the point of me praying? Now, I think, man alive, you've had all that prayer from all those great guys. I might be the one who just tips it over the edge. <laughs> because perseverance isn't alone, is it? This is us as a community seeing breakthrough. It could be my little prayer that just pushes it over. I used to get depressed by, oh gosh, no, yeah, what's the point? Now I think, wow, I could be the one. I could put the ball in the back of the net. This could be in the moment. There's something about our mindset that realises that as we persevere together, as we follow what, our, what the great King Jesus said, to pray and to not give up, we will see far more great breakthrough than if we just give up. To pray and to not give up. And even out of your broken dreams, even out of your disappointments, you can see great breakthrough. If you just say, I refuse to give up. I refuse to give up until I see this stuff restored on the planet. Something about releasing people into fresh destiny. As you deal with disappointment, as you decide I'm gonna navigate around this stuff, I, I can't promise it won't happen to you. In fact, I can promise you will get disappointed. But what I can prom also promise is this. If you, in Christ, navigate around it, you can still see massive, massive fruit in your life.
He gave birth to a community that was going to bear much fruit. That's you and me. We are destined to bear fruit. We're destined to change a planet. We're destined to see people's lives change. It doesn't always work the way we think it will. But what we do know is at the end of the day, he's going to finish it all. And the whole planet is going to be redeemed. And the whole of life will be restored. And every tear will be wiped away. And we will worship him in freedom forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Just take a moment. Firstly, just if you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, this morning could be your morning. You made a decision this morning. Something stirred in your heart. You want to choose to follow him. Just pray with me. Christine, if you can come and play for us, that'd be great. Just pray, Jesus. I want to navigate this disappointment. Some of you have been held back from following Christ for years because of it. Jesus, I want to navigate this disappointment by your grace and follow you this morning to align my life with your life. In your name. Wash me clean. Set me in a new direction. In Jesus' name. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, just raise a hand wherever you are. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, for salvation that comes and rescues our souls, brings us into eternal life. Bless you. A friend of mine will come and just chat with you at the end just to give you a little booklet. I really want to pray also for those you are, you're, you're in the hot seat in terms of disappointment right now even as we've been talking there's been stuff that's been stirring on the inside you realise I have taken a bit of a step back perhaps it's even derailed you from where you knew you were going why don't you just stand wherever you are I just feel like God wants to bring a, a breakthrough to set you fresh on the path 